Hey, good afternoon. Welcome to the ICC Region 1 Facebook page. And if, if you're not watching this live and you're listening to our podcast on the ICC Region 1 uh, radio, uh, we're available on multiple platforms, anywhere from Google Podcasts to uh, Apple Podcasts and also uh, maybe our home Spotify. So, uh, but if you're listening to us, welcome. Um, International Code Council Region 1 is was established in 2014, and we are made up of three states, California, Hawaii, and Nevada. That includes 32 chapters and, um, and a lot of code officials that we try to spotlight uh, through our uh, efforts here. We're dedicated to excellence in the education engagement to promote a safer environment by bringing individuals like myself, and Justin together. Uh, this forum was designed uh, to highlight individuals and chapters that make up our region. And today we have Justin Edson with, he is the Neighborhood Business and Services Division Manager with the City of Monrovia in California. He's also a Regional Representative for the California Code Enforcement Officers Association. Uh, I wanna thank him for joining us. If you have any questions for Justin uh, throughout this conversation, please leave them in the chat. Um, we've got a uh, we've got a chat going. Um, also, too, don't don't feel bad to maybe shoot me an email or a text message if you've got those those means available to you. Um, and if you would like to maybe guest star in an upcoming forum or have any suggestions of people we need to reach out to, please feel free to to, to send me a message uh, or uh, find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. Uh, I don't think we're on Instagram quite yet. So with that, Justin, welcome. I'm glad that you could make it. I'm glad we could finally connect. Yes, thanks, Tim. Well, um, I'm glad that you're here. So before we really get dive too much into the meat and potatoes of uh, you know code enforcement and kind of the things that you do, can you provide us with a background, your background in the area that you serve? Yeah, uh, sure. So um, my name's Justin. I'm currently the Neighborhood Business Services Manager for the city of Monrovia. Um, it's a beautiful small town in LA County, Southern California. Um, and I'm very happy to be here. I've been here about a year. Prior to that, I was an acting building manager as well as a code enforcement manager in another city. Um, and I'm um, ICC certified as a code enforcement administrator and a code enforcement officer, uh, as well as zoning inspector and property maintenance inspector. And then I'm also certified through our state association, which is uh, California Association of Code Enforcement Officers, or CASIO. Uh, and I serve on their board of directors. Uh, and I'm also president of the National Code Enforcement Officer Safety Foundation, uh, which is recognized by ICC as a supporting organization and a uh, preferred education provider. So uh, that's a little bit about my background. Um, the city I work for is very small. Uh, we work in community development uh, with code enforcement, business licensing, planning and building. And so we get to work very closely with our, our counterparts here. Okay, okay, good. Um, you mentioned uh, being a preferred provider through ICC and the other organization. Um, can you describe maybe some of the things that in some of the, the trainings that you offer through that organization? Yeah, sure. Um, so CEOSF or the Code Enforcement Officer Safety Foundation is a national nonprofit and it's a charity. So uh, unlike other associations and groups, we really focus on uh, using the, the, the funds that are raised to promote officer safety in the country. And that's why ICC partnered with us and we entered into an MOU. Uh, and so we have a really close uh, relationship with ICC besides 
just providing education. And so the foundation has launched a national certification program uh, called the Code Official Safety Specialist, or COSS, and it's made up of five classes focused on officer safety for building inspectors, fire inspectors, and code enforcement. And um, it's 15 total hours of training. It's very comprehensive, comes with digital workbooks for each of the five classes. And so the goal of that was we were made up, our uh, board of directors made up of building officials, managers, and um, and different folks from across the country. And we just wanted to put officer safety as uh, at the forefront of the discussion. And mm -hmm. the training part actually came around um, second nature to it. We started about a year ago and we just wanted to be a resource. And our website, uh, codeofficersafety.org, focuses on tracking incidents across the country. And I had spoken a few months ago to the um, the California, the, I think it's the Southern California Association with the Fire Prevention Officers. And mm -hmm. I talked to them and they, they brought up how they've had incidents and they didn't know where to report that or, you know, that there was a database for that. So that's why we started the foundation, but then we decided, well, hey, there's not enough quality training out there to keep inspectors safe. So we worked uh, with a gentleman, uh, gentleman named Scott Kirshner who helped develop the curriculum for this. And we mm -hmm. came up with this five course uh, certification program and it's been a hit. Uh, we have actually in our, our current class that we're about to wrap up next month, we have directors, we have building officials, fire inspectors, um, actually one of the fire inspectors from Ventura County is in there, um, but we have a bunch of different uh, people across the country that are in our current class and it's, wow. it's been a true hit, everybody loves it. Yeah, I mean, that's good to be able to pull code professionals from across the spectrum and have that conversation. And I'll be honest, I didn't realize there was a database and it's good to know that. And so I, I would imagine that most of the people that are probably listening to this aren't aware of that database either. And, and that actually, I'll, 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 I'll try to share that in our show notes just so that way everybody's aware of it. And, and I, I do think it's important. I think that, it, that you know, I talked with uh, Daryl Revere um, probably a month or two ago, and we kind of talked about some uh, code enforcement officer safety. And you know, you're, yeah, I'm sure you're working with him uh, on some state legislation here in the state of California to address some of those off officer safety things, um, because I do think that it is forgotten about, and I do think that to highlight it is very important because. Um, there are occasions where that can happen, and we don't want it to happen. Obviously, we always try to, you know, uh, you know, err uh, on the side of uh, you know good customer service. But um, we just want to make sure that when we're out doing our our, our duties, that we're um, we're safe as well. And so it's good to hear that there are resources out there and training available uh, for people to have maybe better situational awareness. Um, can you provide us any update on some of that legislation that uh, I know that there was the uh, Code Enforcement Officers Association of California where they were uh, working on some legislation. I'm, I would imagine you were part of that as well. Um, and maybe an update in regards to that legislative effort. Yeah, uh, that is a historic uh, moment for us uh, that came through last week. So it's fresh uh, off the press. And I have to start just by commending Casey as a whole uh, but especially uh, Daryl, as the president of CASO this last year, he, he made this a focus, officer safety, taking care of, you know, the code enforcement officers across California, but then also the, the legislative committee of CASO. They have a, a team focused on pushing legislation. They have a lobbyist, and the chair of that is Matt Silver, and he really had a huge impact 
on getting this bill across the finish line. And so it got signed into law by the governor last Thursday. Um, okay. So now it's official. And what it essentially does is it adds Penal Code 829.7 uh, to the California Penal Code. And it's it's very simple, one sentence that says that uh, every jurisdiction needs to evaluate uh, the duties that are assigned to the code enforcement officers and prepare uh, code enforcement officer safety standards for those duties. So uh, okay. I know across the different jurisdictions, we do different things. I mean, you could go to one city and they deal with unpermitted construction and property maintenance, where mm -hmm. another city might deal with uh, homeless camps and marijuana dispensaries. So there's a lot, lot of variety there, but this bill is the first in the country. Uh, and I know other states are watching this and they're looking at as a template um, but yeah, that got signed in last week. And so now HR departments and cities are thinking, what do we do with it? What, what, what do we need to do moving forward to meet the, and comply with this code section? And so um, our national foundation, the uh, Code Enforcement Officer Safety Foundation actually pushed out a press release with minimum standards that we recommend um, on the national level. And so we, we've been sharing that across uh, the spectrum. And I'm already hearing from different agencies that their HR departments are saying, hey, what do we need to do to comply? And mm -hmm. they're starting to have conversations with code enforcement staff on how do we you know, make sure that you guys have all the safety that you need doing the right. job that you do. So, um, you know, talking about the foundation again um, and the, the training, the, the, the officer safety classes that you offer, um, can you really, you said, you mentioned that there are five classes. Can you describe uh, some of the curriculum uh, involved with that? Um, if, let's say, there's a um, somebody from, you know, the public that is watching this that is responsible for shaping some of the policy uh, as it relates back to, um, you know, their code enforcement officer safety platform or their provisions within their municipal code. Can you describe what those five classes are and, and how that might benefit or meet those requirements uh, in the, the new uh, legislation? Yeah, sure. So the five classes, it's it's in a series um, for a reason. Uh, the way it's lined up, but the first class is tactical mindset. So it's really about how you go into situations and how you think. Uh, that's actually, I think, one of the, the favorites among the class. Uh, the second one is fear management. How do you manage your fears when you're in a stressful situation? It, it gives you breathing techniques. There's different things that are discussed to really manage your fear and, and stressful situations. And then we have the third class, which is verbal de-escalation, which uh, I think was a phenomenal class. I think it's needed across the board for any profession. Uh, and then we actually just did the fourth class today, which is uh, the three phases to a contact. So how you interact with the public. And then the last class we're doing in a couple weeks is uh, surviving a violent encounter. And that's going to give you tips and things to kind of work yourself through some violent situations. So um, that's why we have fire inspectors and building inspectors in there. We mm -hmm. actually have one county here in California that sent nearly 50 of their inspectors into this first class that we're doing. Um, and I just got an email from uh, probably the largest city, if I'm not mistaken, in California uh, reached out to me and they want to send uh, their entire division uh, through this program. So the conversations we've been having with a lot of these agencies is even before the governor signed this bill, they were already reaching out to us because they saw that the, the certification course could be the foundation to a minimum standard is send mm -hmm. staff through the class, get right. certified in officer safety, and that that would be a minimum standard. And so we're encouraging that because it is very good 
uh, education for staff to have. So um, that's what we're looking at. As a lot of cities are seeing that this five uh, course series is the minimum standard for to meet the bill. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Well, that's outstanding that there are resources. So that way, it, it, it get, provides a good bridge in a sense. Yeah. Um, you know, once you've adopted the legislation, to then know where you need to go uh, from there and have those resources available is outstanding. Because um, I'm sure a lot of jurisdictions are are starting now to to review what they have and what's available to them. Uh, I know that when I first began my career, I began in law enforcement, and and I had a lot of that training. Which um, not to say that I, I've used any of those uh, maybe uh, uh, you know defensive tactics or firearms training or anything like that. Um, maybe when I was in law enforcement, I did, but I will say that it provided me with more situational awareness um, because I was able to encounter some of those high stress situations in a uh, controlled environment and then been able to um, know how I'll, I'll, I'll react in that stress. And, and I will say that that was one of the things that um, definitely prepared me for my, my position. And I think that, you know, really has kind of helped me throughout the course of my career. And, you know, through that process, understanding those, those high stress situations and being able to um, know how to articulate my position, even when it's stressful, because I'm sure that you understand that there are times where, as you've said, managing that fear, but also identifying um, some of that stress because it, it does get stressful and I think it's stressful for everybody. Um, and what do you do and how do you articulate it? How do you, how do you remain calm? Because um, there are some times where, um, you know, you, where if, you're, if you remain calm, it helps kind of smooth out that, um, uh, you know, that situation and makes it a little bit easier. Um, and, you know, for me, I try to sell fire safety. So um, I really try to work on, you know, working with them as much as we can to, to work towards that voluntary compliance. But no, yeah. sound, that's fantastic. And I was going to add that part of this too is we've been uh, speaking at a lot of ICC chapter meetings. Um, and so we do a, a brief presentation to the different chapter meetings just to give them a, a breakdown of officer safety and things that they should be aware of. But we're actually right now, we've coordinated a tra training with the ICC chapter of Yosemite. And mm -hmm. um, there we're putting together uh, a, our five class series uh, through a personalized uh, training course with them. So we've, we're working with ICC chapters directly to give their members uh, this training. And, uh, and I think that's been a great coordination effort too, is not just offering it to the masses uh, like right. we do, but we can coordinate these specialized trainings with the ICC chapters so that their members can get access and, and the training for officer safety. No, that's fantastic. Um, kind of shifting gears here, you, you, we talked a little bit about your background, but um, kind of like to expand on that. We all take a lot of different pathways to our career. As I mentioned, I, I, I have a background in law enforcement. Um, you know, granted, coming out of the academy, I was always in as a fire marshal or, a, uh, you know, a, as a deputy state fire marshal. But with that being said, we've all take those, you know, kind of sometimes it's a, it's a very jagged line to get where you need to go. Um, can you describe your path and any notable experience that you had that have shaped you as a code enforcement uh, professional? Yeah, I, I think like you, I've kind of had a jagged line. I actually uh, started as a teenager as a, a police explorer, and I was a, a captain of the program for many years, and they, they hired me as a cadet through college. 
and I was going through that traje uh, trajectory and um, I was promoted a full-time CSO at the time and started applying and I ended up getting a, a job offer for to be a police officer but at that time I recently had a, a new uh, young family and so I um, did some deep thought and a friend of mine uh, told me about code enforcement and I'd never heard of it really before then I just never heard the term and he told me oh check out KCO look at the the classes and I started getting into it I put myself through used my vacation time got certified uh, in California and then I started to apply and I ended up getting a, my first job for a very small city where they needed somebody on the weekends and at night um, dealing with bars and CUP enforcement and mm -hmm. so nobody wanted it that had experience <laughs> so I, I got lucky and I I put two years in there built up my experience and then I, I ended up becoming a supervisor um, and then shortly thereafter I became a manager and so I I kind of stumbled upon it I mean I was going that law enforcement route and um, code enforcement just kind of called called my name out and I got into it and then since being in code enforcement I was also interested in fire inspection and building and so I actually went through the four modules for fire inspector one and okay. so I got my I did that um, down here in Southern California and then I started I'm now I'm looking at the building side of things so I'm actually one I got one test left to get my building official cert and oh, wow. I've been studying for that and you know I especially in my last role when I was an acting building manager uh, running the building department permits and um, stop work orders and and dealing with developers and so forth mm -hmm. I felt I needed to really build up my knowledge so I could be good in that in that role so I've kind of taken an interest in the building side more recently so I think it's important for us to continue to learn um, and try to be experts across the board in everything that we deal with so um, I think certification is great I think all the certs that ICC offers really benefits us um, keeps us sharp so um, yeah I Kind of stumbled into this career but it's become uh, a knack and i've really enjoyed it and uh, i look forward to doing it for the rest of my career well and i think that you you highlighted something really important that um, i think many of us in the code industry really understand is there's a lot of overlap um like you mentioned going through the fire prevention uh one series uh, through the state fire state fire training uh also then getting building certifications and and I know for myself that we have a good relationship with our, our code enforcement uh, office and, and really building department. We, we have to work together. I mean, I really do think that it is a collaborative effort and that through that collaborative effort, we're able to achieve a better outcome. Um, but I do think that knowing um, the, the different areas that each one of us covers and, and some of those uh, important things it is definitely essential, and and so you mentioned how you've served as a building uh, a building manager. So how do you work to uh, uh, engage with other code professionals, build those relationships with others, maybe outside of your organization or maybe outside of your division? Yeah, I think that's so important for what we do. Is I always like the term uh, tearing down silos, and mm -hmm. I think I've been at cities like the one I'm at right now where there is there there's no silos. We're, we all work very collectively together, but I've been, especially in that role as a building manager, um, I had to work to tear down those silos. And um, for me, it's just building up relationships. It's, you know, we help other departments out, they help us out. And so when you become one-sided and you put a, a wall up, people don't want to work with you. And so my goal was, how do we make things more efficient? How do we uh, help each other? 
So like you said, there's things that we helped the fire inspectors out with when they had code issues. Uh, there's things that building needed uh, help on with enforcing stop work orders and, and red tags. So it was just building up that teamwork and having meetings and saying, hey, how can we help each other? And so what I did at that, at that city was I created a uh, mid-management working group where the fire marshal, the building manager, myself, um, and uh, police and community services got together uh, once a month and we talked about city issues and how we can help each other. And that really helped the communication. So uh, I think every city I've been at, we've always had great communication and it's really important to have that teamwork between the fire team, um, the building staff, us and code enforcement, uh, and, and we can help each other out with all these difficult cases. Yeah, I, I think that uh, communication is essential to everything that we do and and how do you do that do you do it over a cup of coffee or do you um, try to just you know send off a bunch of emails and I I'll be honest I I uh, have not found email correspondence to be very effective and so uh, picking up the phone many times is probably better than not uh, doing anything at all or also maybe engaging in these online platforms uh, especially with COVID and the pandemic and, and trying to figure out how do you how you do that um, but I do think that meeting and discussing is always essential and, and you know, building that rapport and those relationships, especially when, when stuff does get challenging to be able to have those people that can, you can work with to hopefully address those challenges is, is a good thing. Um, you, you know, talking about the pandemic, there's been a lot of changes in the industry. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of digital changes, especially. What are some of the biggest changes that you've seen? Um, and what are some changes that you've implemented um, that have really become effective, especially maybe in addressing this pandemic? Yeah, it was very interesting. I, um, when the pandemic started, it was right when I was uh, appointed to be the acting building manager. And there's already some issues that I needed to work on without the pandemic getting involved. But then when the pandemic hit, I had to, you know, deal with staffing um, concerns and then also how do we work with the public to still keep the, the work moving forward. And so I think like a lot of cities that I've spoken to, uh, a lot of things went digital. So building inspections could be done through uh, FaceTime and virtual, where mm -hmm. if it's a very simple project, uh, an inspector can talk to somebody through FaceTime. Um, if it's exterior, they were still able to do the inspections. And so we did a lot of things digitally and we took photos in as proof of compliance. Um, and then with the permit side of things, taking plans in um, on a digital side. So people would drop off thumb drives or we would share a Dropbox link and they would upload their, mm -hmm. their plans and then we'd route it to our um, plan check. So a lot of things went completely digital. Uh, now that we've reopened, we now still take things over the counter and we do in-person inspections. So there's been some modifications that have kept up since we started, but uh, for the most part, we're kind of getting back to the, the normal swing of things. But I think we learned that on the technology side, there's things that make us more efficient and we just need to tweak it a little bit and I think it'll make us better in the long run. So um, it, it's always a struggle dealing with software in, in the first place, but um, I think we see the potential for it going forward is sticking with the digital side versus hard copies. Yeah, I, I will say that it helped bring some efficiencies uh, that maybe some of us didn't really like, real, realize that we could have uh, available to us. And, um, and and I know that that's something that we've also looked at too is, uh, you know, digital plan reviews. And uh, we increased our efforts in regards to 
uh, into uh, those digital plan reviews because um, there for a while we didn't know um, uh, whether or not uh, paper plans were uh, uh, something like contact would be uh, you could get um, you know contract the illness through uh, contact and so uh, we we did go digital and and I will say that that was a bit of a, a learning curve for us and and we were already doing it to a certain degree but um, when you had to do it all by that, then you had to try to address some of those <laughs> some of those issues. Also, um, we implemented a uh, um, uh, a uh, online payment portal, which we didn't have before, and that allowed you know provided us with a, an ability to to work with people that maybe weren't uh, you know in the area, and also too probably helped with our our customer service for folks that m might have to travel. Um, I think be, being able to accept online plans and, and do the payments remotely, I think, definitely helped. We haven't quite gotten into the digital inspections yet. I hope to get there soon, um, maybe on some of the easier things, uh, uh, some of the, uh, lack of a better term, the black and white things um, that, we, uh, that, that we always get involved with. Um, so we talk about maybe some of those changes. How do you stay up to date with uh, different things? And we, we know things change all the time, uh, especially in our industry. Sometimes they move faster than others. Uh, but uh, how do you stay up to date? What, how do you get involved with different things? And, and I know that you're involved at the state and national level, but how do you stay up to date with all those things? I think the the easiest answer is, is networking. I, I feel building up the contacts of neighboring cities and even other cities across the state, having people in certain industries, they can help uh, share information with you. I mean, there's, there's times that people reach out to me and say, hey, did you hear about this or what's going on with, what what, you, what is your city doing uh, regarding this, this change? And so it's just sharing of ideas, whether it's an email or it's a phone call. Um, so I, talk to building officials or code enforcement managers and we just share ideas and you know what we've heard uh, I think the other part of it too is just the trainings uh, whether it's the ICC chapters and w when they host uh, some type of training topic or things that you might see on social media um, you know things that ICC shares or the different organizations it's just being aware of what's going on in the industry so I think networking and then also just following different groups so that hopefully you can learn something that um, by by being a part of that otherwise if you just stayed in a in a cave you know you won't really <laughs> be paying attention to anything that comes around so uh, right. I think to be successful in this industry you really have to network you have to ask questions and build up friendships and that way you can help each other out and I I'm you know appreciative that there's other building officials and staff across other cities that answer my questions because I don't know right. the answer I'm not an expert in everything so I try to do the same thing for them if I have an answer. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you mentioned networking. I guess maybe uh, the flip side of the coin would be mentoring. Um, and how do you interact with, you know, different folks that you mentioned that when you first began your career in code enforcement, it was uh, due to maybe somebody saying, hey, have you ever looked at this? Um, and I would imagine that that person might have been a mentor of yours at one time. And so how do you engage in mentoring and, and helping in staff development, being a leader in your organization um, and, uh, you know, bringing people up and mentoring those maybe outside of your organization? I know that a lot of times I, I will try to mentor those inside and outside my organization, but how do you engage in that? I think mentoring is, is so important. Um, I think no matter what your title is, 
being able to mentor and coach somebody to become stronger um, is one of the most important aspects uh, that we can do in our profession. Uh, you're passing on knowledge, but you're also trying to help them become better at what they do. And I've been fortunate with some great building officials and directors that I've worked for. Uh, one of my prior directors, who's now a city manager uh, at a neighbor, uh, neighboring city, she gave me a lot of great advice and I learned from her and she became my mentor um, even to this day because you know she has really good leadership skills and I try to do the same thing for my team. Um, I don't like to use the word staff or employee. I, I call it my team and I'm a team member of that team. And you know sometimes I have to make critical decisions and I, I have to call the shots, but I encourage the teamwork and the communication. I think being a mentor or a leader um, is not about you know exerting power and mm -hmm. you know bragging about titles. It's about how many people can you build up uh, to be successful, and it's not a matter of power and how many people you can tear down with that power. And I've unfortunately seen some some people in the profession that use the power um, and they wield that, uh, and I think it's very negative for us. I think, like you mentioned, mentorship is so important. We need to build people up to be successful, not see them as a threat, but see them as a success story. So with my staff, I try to encourage things that you know we can build on their weaknesses. Uh, whether it's doing presentations or it's going to a new type of class so that they can get mm -hmm. stronger and in a different field. So it's really about, you know, just building everybody up. And I've dealt with building teams. I've dealt with code enforcement. Um, and one of the things that uh, when I became the building manager, I sat down with my building inspectors and I said, what do you guys need uh, to be successful? What would you guys like to see changed? And one of the first things they said was they wanted to stop wearing professional suits for inspections, they wanted something that's a little bit more um, user-friendly out on the job site. So I said, that sounds perfect. So wear a polo shirt with jeans and, and work, bo uh, work boots. And right. they loved it. And it's you have to listen to your team um, and make sure that um, they they're successful in the, in the role that they play. So mentorship is critical for us. It's sharing knowledge. Um, but I think it's just beneficial to our profession that we can help grow people um and it's not about titles yeah i, I think uh, you you highlighted one of the things is just being able to ask questions and and it, you know and, and through that inquiry being able to uh find solutions uh you know those people that are always engaged in that practice it's always a good thing to talk to those people so that way you understand what they're doing and and it's a simple change right um you know okay hey, can we can we change the uniform to be able to make it a little bit more productive? Uh, so when it's 110 degrees, I don't know about you, but here in the valley, sometimes it gets a little warm. Um, and uh, it, and so we've talked about that too, and we're we're also trying to explore options. Now we're getting it's getting cooler, but uh, but we want to try to explore those options to make us a little bit more um, a little bit more efficient and, and maybe not have the weather impact us as much as it does um, because you get those heat-related days. But it's always good to engage those folks and listen to them. Uh, I, I do think that that's one of the, the main things. I also, you know, one of the skills that I think is undervalued a lot of times is empathy, uh, being able to um, cut and have that, uh, you know, that year to, to be able to talk to people and, and kind of you know, understand their, their position and their perspective, I think is also essential to what we do as well. Uh, 
so you as part somebody that's part of that uh, code enforcement officers foundation and officer safety um i'm imagining you guys also provide some other training in addition to that um and I'm, i would i would imagine you engage in some of those you know as an instructor engage in those what are you, what do you think are some of the undervalued skills that we see um, that, that that may not get uh, uh, a lot of attention, um, you know, for for inspectors or code enforcement professionals. Yeah, yeah, I think I I mean the first thing um, before I get to like the skill set is just I think there's a there's not that much information out there for inspectors to be aware of what's going on in terms of uh, safety incidents. Um, I think mm -hmm. because a lot of cases you can go a 20, 30 year career without coming across any really bad situation, but it's happening across the country. And yeah. uh, one of the oldest articles I found was from um, the 1980s, where a building inspector in LA ended up losing his eye because during inspection, um, got into a confrontation with the uh, own, the property owner and he wow. had a tool and the inspector lost his eye um, because of a, a building inspection. So there's been a lot of incidents since then and so I think it's just being aware of what's out there and you kind of learn as you hear these stories, you start to think about that to yourself as you go out there and to avoid complacency, you start to think, oh, you know, what I might encounter if somebody starts to get angry because I'm issuing a stop work order or you're doing a red tag or a yellow tag. And so you have to just be mindful of that going into the job, mm -hmm. but um, to avoid complacency and one inspector I had the pleasure of meeting on the East East Coast. He ended up creating a term for himself that he just always left a note in his car and he said every inspection, um, meaning that every inspection is different and you mm -hmm. can't be complacent and think that everything's gonna be simple and easy, but you have to keep your, your head on a swivel. So with the classes and everything, I think the skill set that you know we would encourage is for people to be more aware and not be so robotic and think that, hey, every day is Groundhog's Day and everything's right. gonna be you know, peachy clean for 30 years, I'm gonna retire. You, you have to just be prepared for it. We're not saying, you know, build a bomb shelter and be scared, but we're just right. saying, you know, be, be ready and, and be sharp. And that's why these classes that we teach about mindset, fear management, it just gets your brain thinking about um, how do you work yourself through different situations when your emotions are flaring up, maybe mm -hmm. somebody's yelling at you or they're uh, upset. It, it just walks you through that that mindset. So I think in this field, we see a lot of training about codes and mm -hmm. the updates and different changes to codes and, and how we do inspections, but it doesn't really talk about us as a human being, how we have to work through emotions and uh, interpersonal yeah. skills. So I think that's really what our foundation is kind of pushing is, you have to focus on yourself um, to be successful. Yeah, I think that you hit on a very key term and you almost took it out of my mouth because I was going to say it right when you did. Interpersonal skills, um, being able to deal with that one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, I know that through my law enforcement career, it said verbal judo. Um, I, I don't necessarily say I want to hit you over the head with a word, but it, it's more of uh, being able to talk through those things, articulate um, your position. Uh, it's always good to know the code. Don't get me wrong. And and I have this conversation with my staff a, a lot of times is being able to know the code is always a good thing. Um, but also too, you want to be able to talk to those people and 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 to know the code, but then to explain the code, or I think maybe two different things, um, or uh, or what that what they have. I think that you know people need to kind of be aware of that. 
um, and understand some of those challenges and and how do you explain it to those that aren't in the business? I had somebody, um, I was using a lot of acronyms the other day and somebody called me out on it. And uh, they said, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I said, oh, you know, but I was, it was a group of three. The other person knew, the third person didn't kind of thing. So um, how, do you, how do you talk through that and explain it in uh, terms that everybody understands? Uh, and I think that that's a challenge, uh, but interpersonal skills are, one of those bigger challenges, I think, that many of us um, that could always show some improvement. So it's good to have uh, avenues for what the, I think the, people call them soft skills, but I think they're essential skills to everything that we do um, and some emotional intelligence. I, I, I think I need to brush up on that a bit. I know there's some books and texts out there, but uh, I need to I need to read some of those, uh, you know, just to kind of, you know, freshen up. I mean, all things that we pick up through uh, maybe our our schooling, but things that uh, it never hurts to have some continuing education on. So, yeah, and I think with our, our classes, I think the verbal de-escalation was really great and how you it teaches you to talk to and try to calm the situation down. And we actually mm -hmm. had some agencies that sent permit techs and front counter staff just oh, in one class. And yep. it, it helps kind of just think about how you, you talk to people and you don't let your emotions flare up. And um, actually one of the best trainings I had for, that I thought was useful getting into code enforcement was when I was in, uh, in the police department, when I received training um, uh, for hostage, uh, hostage negotiations. And that was very helpful for me getting into code enforcement because a lot of times you're talking to people about getting into compliance and, mm -hmm. you know, we need to work towards, you know, compliance. And what I learned in hostage negotiation is, you know, sometimes you give a pizza to get a hostage or you do these different things. You make these agreements that they might want and you try to work towards that final solution. And so right. um, I, I learned a lot just thinking of it that way is, how do you negotiate with people to be successful? Yeah, yeah. I had a friend of mine uh, a long time ago when I first uh, moved to California. We we talked, and he, I I consider him to be a great leader of his organ organization. And it, he said, "I'm always trying to work towards yes." And how do I get to yes? How do I get? Because I don't. I want your project to go just as badly as you do. But how do we get there? And and I want to try to help you get there. And so I think having that positive outlook on how do we get you there, and so it's not a you know this negative um, always thinking about it, it's a negative uh, you know we're an enforcer um, coming out and saying how can I help you? I, I I will say that that has you know definitely helped him. I, I I consider him to be a great friend, but also a great leader as well. And I think he gets a lot of good uh, uh, output from his team. So um, and I, I try to I try to emulate that a bit. So. That's a good one. Yes. Um, before we before we end, uh, I always like to you know because this is part of ICC. Um, how do you engage in ICC? You've uh, you've already taught, or how do you connect with ICC? You've already kind of talked about maybe the uh, the the foundation, but how else do you connect with the International Code Council? Yeah, I think it's uh, well. I think ICC does a great job. They you know, it really unifies the profession with not just the certification, the training, but all the different chapters and events and, and things that they put on. And so being a part of uh, here where I'm at in L.A. County, I'm part of the L.A. Basin um, ICC chapter. And um, being a part of the foundation was unique because I got to work with a lot of ICC's executives to uh, 
come into the MOU agreement and find ways that we could help each other. Um, they now have me doing presentations for the uh, chapter leadership academies. And so okay. I do um, presentations through Zoom platform um, to all the leaders across the country for that. And so I think it's been great networking with ICC. I, I have my certifications. I have many more on my wish list to get knocked out. So mm -hmm. it's both the education component and the networking and um, the chapters play an important role regionally with that. And um, also just being able to go to different um, functions and events that ICC puts on, uh, it's a great resource. And so it's um, things like this, what we're doing here, connecting mm -hmm. uh, members across different states and regions, uh, I think it's just very important to share that knowledge and, and help each other. Yeah, I, I think that um, th this was one of the things when I first became the, so I'm the treasurer uh, of Region 1, and I've only been the treasurer now for less than a year. And one of the things that I, you know, I talked with uh, our leadership was how do we connect and what do we do? We have we have meetings, but now that there's all these virtual platforms, it might be good to highlight, you know, individuals that we never get to meet um, and network. And and that's um, one of the things that I find these platforms to be essential for, because um, uh, we're you and I are probably separated by five or six hours, um, it, it, and we may run into each other at a conference sometime, but. How do we really connect? How do we build those relationships? And how do we, you know, share our experiences with, with others? And and with this being, you know, a good opportunity because not only are you and I connecting, but it also allows us to connect with others that might be listening um, or watching on Facebook or while well, listening to this uh, on our podcast platform or or wherever. Um, YouTube. We've got a YouTube channel, so um, they can watch this later too. And um, and, and I will say that uh, in this past year, I've been able to meet a lot of different people like yourself that that have different perspectives that I think is are, are essential to share. And I, I think that the more that we do that, the more we get out there and and be able to connect, uh, you know, through the International Code Council, because I think that that is the common thread that many of us um, across the country engage in. Um, you know, whether or not it's ICC or NFPA, but um, we all, um, as code enforcement professionals, know and work with each other, and 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 we all try to develop codes and and standards that may you know provide a little bit higher degree of safety. And so, um, being able to do that and being able to connect and network is always a good thing. So, yeah, and I, and I commend you. I think you know this idea of um, having podcasts and talking through this kind of medium, not just because it's pandemic times and everything's virtual, right. but even if it wasn't, I think like you said, doing it this way allows us to travel, you know, 600 miles apart or whatnot, that yeah. we can have these communications. So I think it's a great move uh, for the region and I think across the countries, increase these communication styles so that we can share information and meet new people. Yeah, absolutely. And I keep telling the, the board that, um, so Hawaii is part of our, uh, our region and, and, it, I, and, you know, I will sacrifice, I will go to Hawaii um, to talk to those folks over there um, and we will meet and we'll do we'll do these videos one on one. It, it, but I don't think that the budget allows for it, unfortunately. So um, you, you get me virtually, um, but maybe someday um, maybe I can start traveling a bit more and uh, go to Hawaii and, and talk to those folks there. Maybe go to Southern California. Palm Springs, I'm sure, is beautiful this time of year. I'm sure Monrovia, Monrovia is too. Um, and so, uh, but uh, I don't think that there's quite money in the budget to to support my uh, uh, to support my travel yet. So, <laughs> but I will. I will. 
Yeah, I will sacrifice. Um, I will sacrifice yeah. to go to Hawaii. I mean, it, it, it comes at a price, I'm sure, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, well, Justin, you know, it's been a great talk. Um, how can people find you, um, find more information on the Code Enforcement Officers uh, Safety Foundation? How can they find more information? Should they want to be able to get signed up, take some of those classes, and also maybe some more information on uh, Casio and all those programs that they offer as well? Yeah, so um, the Code Enforcement Officer Safety Foundation, the website's codeofficersafety.org, um, and it's got a lot of resources on there. We track national statistics of uh, murders and safety incidents. We have resources and handouts, um, and we also have uh, information about our certification program. We also certify officer safety instructors, so people that are in our profession that want to teach other inspectors about safety uh, we certify those folks as well and so everything is on our website um, for the certification program we are now offering the certification program uh, on demand where you can watch recordings and okay. get certified that way or you could participate in live webinars and um, also we have information about the recent uh, passing of SB 296 so we have press release on there uh, letters to human resources um, and different documents on there. And uh, KCO is KCOCEO.us um, uh, to find out more about the state association. Um, but we're, the foundation is on, um, on Facebook and Instagram. They have accounts and uh, we share all types of information on there almost daily. And uh, we also have a podcast and different resources on our website that people could follow. Um, so definitely check us out. It's a growing resource, and uh, I love how, to see how many subscribers would grow every day because people are hearing about it and they, they want to take their safety seriously. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think if you haven't checked that, those resources out, I will list them in our uh, show notes. I'll list them on uh, the YouTube channel as well. Um, so you can you know click those links and get some more information on those. I think that that's going to be a, a good thing to do, especially with some of the changes that we're seeing uh, throughout the industry. Um, you know, Justin, I really do appreciate your time. Um, and if anybody has, you know, uh, I'm going to look, let me check the, the, the uh, oh, looks like we've got a couple people watching, but no, no, no additional questions or comments. So apparently I've asked everything that, that I, I possibly could ask today. Um, but uh, like I mentioned, if anybody's listening right now or watching, should you have any uh, questions or comments or know of anybody else we should uh, uh, showcase on this platform, please let me know. I'm always, I, I'm always looking for more people. I kind of, sometimes I'm a, I'm a used car salesman. I, I'm out there uh, selling it hard uh, just to try to get more people um, involved and, and be able to talk to more people because I do think that these, this is a valuable tool and it gives us a good op, uh, opportunity to, to network and, and really close that gap of distance between all of us. And so, but Justin, I really do appreciate your time. I know it, 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 things are busy right now uh, and to be able to take an hour out of your day to talk to me, it's always, it's very much appreciated. So again, I thank you and I, I thank everybody for watching and uh, hopefully, you, hopefully you enjoyed and, and uh, have a great rest of your day. It's been a pleasure, Tim. Nice meeting you and a uh, great podcast and uh, you're doing great things for the region. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Justin. I'll see you.